23. We've been talking about evangelistic praying. <clears throat> I think we might have one more left in this little topical series that we've been looking at. And I hope one of the things that you've walked away with is the fact that <clears throat> evangelistic speaking needs evangelistic praying because evangelistic speaking demands a work of God in our hearts. This is not something that is natural to us. If we were talking about our favorite football team, no issues. If we were talking about voicing our <clears throat> complaints against government, no issues. We were talking about being at a sports event and jumping up and down and acting crazy and being out there. It's amazing to me to be out there in 20 degree weather, you know, 30,000 people out there all freezing together. But if the church doesn't have on heating or air conditioning, I'm out of here. It's what we're enthused about, right? It's what we're motivated about in our hearts and in our lives. And in order to have that motivation, we actually need a work of God in our heart. Evangelistic praying and evangelistic speaking take a work of grace. This is not natural to us. It's not even natural if someone is gifted to be an evangelist. They still have to deal with... They, Maybe a little bit more easy for them, but they still have to deal with the same conflicts and the same things that you and I have to deal with. And so <clears throat> we're waiting around for it to be natural to us. Probably won't happen. But if we're willing to pray, seek the Lord and ask Him to work in our hearts and lives and then act upon that prayer, by actually doing this, then the Lord comes and intervenes, and then we'll have the joy of the Lord in doing it. I want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to read down through verse 5, but the passage that we'll be concerned with is in verse 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And here's the addition on the prayer request. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Here's the reason. For not all have faith. Here's the comfort. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. Here we're concerned about evangelistic praying and we saw first of all several weeks ago that really it all begins with the proper attitude. And really it's a maturing attitude and it's a growing attitude in every believer's life. And that is, when we look around at those who do not have Christ, there arises within our soul some measure of sorrow. The greater the measure, <clears throat> the more potential for it to work in our hearts and in our lives. 
In Paul, it was for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And he had this great sorrow which ended up being coupled with unceasing grief. And I suppose that grief would have been at the rejection of the Messiah in their lives. Those two things together, working in him, gave him an intense desire. It didn't quench the desire, it inflamed the desire for them to know Christ. And of course, those three things together promoted Paul praying for them. And that's true for us. If you have a great burden for someone in your family, a daughter or a son or a spouse, and you have grief about that and you have an intense desire that they would come to know the Lord, what do you do? You pray for them. And you pray regularly, don't you? Well, this is extended way beyond our family or way beyond even within a church. It extends right into our local communities. What is the level of burden that we have? Then we talked about purposeful praying for a door. This is praying for a door to speak. And many of you took that upon yourselves to start praying for that and actually came to me and said, you know what, I prayed for that on a particular day, and let me tell you what the Lord did. He opened this door, and I got to give to some measure and to some degree the gospel to someone. What a blessing that is. And I suppose that if we prayed for that more, we might have more opportunity come our way. First of all, if you're praying for it, you're looking for it. Why pray for something and then not look for it? Then we had praying for boldness. Sometimes the door opens, and when we get back in our car, or we get back at home, or we start thinking about it, we realize there was a door, and I what? I, I, I didn't go through it. Here we're praying for boldness. Paul prayed for that boldness to open up his mouth. He was an ambassador. He represented another country, another king, and another word. He's an ambassador in chains, and he desired to proclaim the gospel boldly, to do it to a measure that he ought to be speaking in that particular situation. We need that wisdom. And we need the boldness to be able to come out and to open up our mouths. Then last week, we looked at praying for gospel success. We got this right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. What would gospel success look like just as it did also with you? Paul actually commanded the church to pray for the success of the gospel. And of course, this is not only our desire, it's the Lord's desire, and we are co-laborers with Him. What would that look like? Well, that it would spread rapidly. 
I think in our day, we just pray that it might hit one person or two. But here Paul's desiring for it to spread rapidly, and as we saw with the Thessalonica church, to spread rapidly throughout a whole region. That would be amazing to see that today. And that not only it was spread rapidly, but it would be glorified. And I take that to mean it bore fruit. People received it and became a child of God. And so the believers echoed the message. They communicated the message along with their full persuasion and faith in that message. The hearers came to know it and they repeated it to other people. And part of that message and part of their faith was how they turned from idols to serve the one true and living God. And they turned to be a slave for this living and true God. And as a congregation, not only were they filled with slaves for the one true and living God, but they were waiting for God's Son to return. And I suppose if there's anything that is not mentioned much today, it is the return of Christ. And I remember decades ago this being lamented from preachers who lived before me. that There wasn't much preaching on the second coming. And I suppose, and I was telling my wife this, I suppose that when when all we care about is getting through the day, and getting through the week so I can make it to Friday, so I can do what I want to do, I suppose that's very short-sighted, isn't it? And there's something missing, and that is our release from sin in our own life. So tonight, what I'd like to do is continue this with chapter 3 and verse 2. And that is... Praying in light of resistance. Praying in light of resistance. You'll notice here that the prayer for gospel success is combined with the prayer to be rescued from evil men. Did you notice that in the text? In other words, there is no gospel success without opposition. We talked about the gospel is the power of God. That power has the ability to save, doesn't it? And how we long to see that run and spread rapidly. But then we get perplexed if we do see a measure of that and we end up receiving persecution in light of it. Well, brethren, it only makes logical sense that if the gospel is making progress against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness is not going to roll over. The kingdom of darkness is going to what? Resist and fight back. That's what war is. War is each party resisting the advances of the other party. In the New Testament, gospel success is always accompanied with some measure of pushback. Always. 
I don't know of any incident in my New Testament where it was not accompanied with pushback. So, for example, if you're a missionary and you're going to some foreign <coughs> land to give the gospel, I hope you're not expecting for you to come off the airplane and open your mouth and give you know, the Romans road and people are going to say, thank you for coming. There's going to be what? There's going to be resistance. I know one of the things my wife and I experienced when we were ministering in the Middle East is that when we came back to America, one thing that we realized is that all the food was greasy <laughs> walking through the New York airport. But the other thing we realized is just, even though the oppression is there in America, it was so much less than being in a foreign country. Because the darkness is greater. But folks, the darkness is growing in our own nation, is it not? And so here we've got to, we've got to not expect any type of gospel proclamation not to be resisted. That could be a resistance from the one that you're speaking to. They have arguments. They have questions. They have rebuttal. They contradict what you're saying, right? Could be in that shape and form. It could be a pushback because a neighborhood, somebody in the neighborhood sees you going through and passing flyers out or putting them in places that are accessible neatly and they call the authorities on you. And here you are, you're walking down the road and all of a sudden a police car shows up and just kind of comes up next to you and you're like, wow, that's interesting, a police car's here. And so you pause and you reach in and say, well, officers, there's some way I could help you. Well, he's not there because he needs help. He's there because he received a complaint from someone in the neighborhood. It's amazing how many neighborhood ordinances are enforced when it comes to the gospel that aren't enforced when it comes to other things. And of course, there's the famous one where people say, don't you know there's a no solicitation sign? The fact is, we're not solicitating for anything. We're just handing out literature telling people about Christ. Solicitation is like, you know, the fuller brush thing where you knocked on the door because you want to what? You want to sell a product. But that's not the way people take it today. And so you could have a form of persecution in that shape and form. You could, as the Thessalonians had, actually had an uprising against them. And there's been churches even here in America. You think of COVID and churches that... <clears throat> exercise their religious liberty to stay open and the government coming down upon them or neighborhoods you actually have situations where neighborhoods will lobby not to have a church in their neighborhood i mean you have all kinds of little forms of pushback right and the pushback can get intense it can actually get to the place where they might physically harm you and I mentioned this before, I've been spit on. That's not a pleasant thing. 
and I've been accosted. I've been surrounded by young people with threatenings. This isn't something that we just naturally want. Or it could be like in the Thessalonica church where they had actually had people die for their faith. And Paul had to send back words of comfort to them. And of course, Paul, did he experience persecution? He certainly did. And that persecution, here are people, he's preaching. He's just preaching the gospel. Somebody gets riled up, they form a multitude, and then Paul is accosted for causing a disturbance. <laughs> when it's the people who are causing the disturbance. But Paul gets put in jail because of it. And he becomes a prisoner of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you have all forms of different and subtle persecutions. When you look in the New Testament, <clears throat> Paul could have asked for this deliverance because of what happened to him at Thessalonica. At Philippi, he was actually brought into custody to the governmental courts, beaten and imprisoned. All for a message. He wasn't soliciting money, was he? He wasn't robbing from people, just a message. And of course, at Thessalonica, the whole city was troubled and the whole city was in an uproar. He went to Berea. He had similar troubling come from Thessalonica down to Berea. Then he got to Athens and he was rebuffed in the synagogue and brought before the legal courts of that city. And he actually got to preach the gospel, didn't he? But did he have a huge response? He didn't have a huge response in Athens. In fact, as far as we know, there was only two or three. He really wasn't able to organize anything. He leaves from Athens, and he goes down, and he's heading to Corinth. Was Corinth easy? No, it was not easy for him. He actually got brought before governmental authorities there. And then he needed a vision from Christ for him to even stay there. Christ told him, I have many people in this city. And so things can be very, very difficult. And this is where this request for deliverance is arising out of. I can't imagine the struggle in Paul's own soul in his flesh after all of that and he's heading to the city of Corinth and he says I came into you and I preached Christ and him alone and what was happening fear what was he afraid of <coughs> trembling bodily effects right from what had happened before and yet he preached and in that weakness Christ brought great victories in people's lives. And folks, you and I, all of us here, and probably most who are listening to this or viewing this, we're, we're in the situation like the Hebrews. We've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against what? Striving against sin. In fact, I think our lives have been pretty comfortable in spite of the struggle and suffering that every believer experiences. 
every believer experiences tribulation. So here we have a request for gospel advance and then immediately a request for safety. Now I want to remind us, I want to look at two passages. And I want to remind us, because I think that when we think about being rescued from perverse and evil men, I think our minds really run to the biographies that we've read or the testimonies that we've seen of people who have been beaten, incarcerated, other unspeakable things happening to them. I think our minds kind of gravitate toward that. But I want, I want to bring to our remembrance that reproach falls under the suffering realm. So let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Book of Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> and of course, when I say Matthew chapter 5, we know he's on a mountain, right? And we know it's called, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, chapter 5 verse 1 says that. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And he opened his mouth and he spoke to his disciples and he gave to them the blessedness, or what we call the Beatitudes, those who have favor with God. And if we go down, down to verse 9, we have blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Then verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let me just pause here. To whom belongs the kingdom of heaven? People who have suffered for righteousness' sake. Everybody see that? Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I would say that this mindset is strange. Would you say so? It is a mindset that says, very simply, do you want an evidence of being favored by God? And brethren, I think if we would ask anybody, anybody even nearly religious, would you like God's favor in your life, what would they say? Yes. But here, to be favored of God, verse 10, is to have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Doing right, walking in the steps of Christ, following in the way of Christ. Verse 11, here's a person favored of God. When people insult you, 
Now nobody likes to be insulted, do we? Nobody likes to be persecuted for doing right. You're favored by God when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is being persecuted without cause. You've read that all throughout the book of Psalms. David would mention this. Our Lord Himself would mention this. These are the people favored of God. So again, going back to Thessalonians, you would then see immediately that if we were favored with gospel success, that would be coupled with what? The need to be delivered from perverse and evil men. Both of those things walk hand in hand. And then if it's not enough to accept the fact that these are the people who are God-favored, then He tells us, rejoice over this. And I think that we all would agree that it would take a work of God in the soul of man for this to happen. Do we have any situation in our New Testament where we see that occur? Here is Peter and John. What did they do? At the gate beautiful, they see a man healed. Is that bad? That man's healed, and he gets a little excited about it. He's leaping, jumping around. And of course, when that happens, that's, that's unusual. Somebody's happy. Let's gather around. And a bunch of people gathered around there that were going to the temple. And Peter, being the astute Peter, said, Wow. Now I'm adding to the text here. I prayed for an open door this morning. Here it is. And he preaches Christ to them. And what happened? They get incarcerated, right? For a good deed. And Peter actually says that. He said, if we're here because of a good deed, I just want to let you know, we didn't do it. The risen Christ did it. That's who did it. And of course, they get together and have a council and they say, you know what? Uh, we got to do something about this. <laughs> we just can't have people getting healed and leaping around all the time and then blaming it on some Jesus that we don't think is alive. So what are we going to do? Well, <clears throat> they beat them. And do you remember what happened? They left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy they had been God-favored to suffer for Christ's sake. And when I read something like that, I say, wow. Grace. Grace being seen in Peter 
in John's life. That's the power of the Gospel. So rejoice! Be glad! Our natural reaction is figure out how that won't happen again in your sorrow. But rejoice and be glad. Why? Where's your reward, brethren? Where is it? It's in heaven. It's not on earth. It's in heaven. Where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't break forth and steal. Don't you want a reward when you get to heaven? Well, you say under your breath, not if it's like this. <laughs> and thankfully, there's other ways to get rewards. But here, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And what does it do for us? We realize that this is the way it's always been since Genesis. It says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Now in the context, it would be Jewish, right? But from Genesis all the way through New Testament times, all the way through book of Revelation, it all has gospel success to some degree, opposition to some degree. And of course, you and I do read, when we read the book of Revelation, we read about multitudes of people getting saved, do we not? Without number. And John asked the angel about these people. But wasn't there great tribulation at the same time? There was great persecution at the same time. And so gospel success and pushback go hand in hand. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6. This is the <clears throat> other giving, a different giving, of <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Luke, chapter 6. <clears throat> and he actually flips, flips the coin, as it were. You'll see it in verse 20. <clears throat> Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. <clears throat> Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. God favored are you when men hate you, when they ostracize you, when they insult you, when they scorn your name as evil. And of course, you recall in Psalm 1, he says, walk not in the way of scoffers and scorners. Folks, if this is the case, and it is, <clears throat> whether it be reproach, 
or whether it be bodily suffering, we need deliverance from perverse and evil people. We need deliverance from their insults, do we not? We need deliverance from their hatred. We need deliverance from their <clears throat> reproaches. We need deliverance when they stand aloof from us. And I've given this illustration many times, but I remember when I first got saved and all the men that I used to have, quote, fellowship with, and here they are, and they're all in a group, just like they always were at work. And I walk up, didn't say a word, I just walked in to join it, and they all left. Why? Because something changed in my life. Christ saved me. And it changed, and their attitude changed. Folks, even that is a form of suffering. Because I walked away as a young believer saying, well, what did I do wrong? Did I say something? Did I... What did I do? And it's perplexing, isn't it? Folks, we need <clears throat> deliverance. And so as we're praying for gospel success, we need to pray, I'm going to word it this way, for gospel safety. <laughs> safety. You may in the upcoming days, or perhaps you've been doing it for the past months, maybe you've been putting literature out in your neighborhood. <clears throat> you may need to pray for deliverance from dogs. Or snakes. Or in my case, spiders. I remember walking up to a door one that had welcome right on the front. I mean, just welcome. And I just marched right up to that door and there was a huge, it was two huge spider webs. I'm talking about garden-sized spiders right there on that porch. And I was like, ah! I just, the Lord opened my eyes just in time. But I just could imagine, what if I had run into that thing? Ugh. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And those big, huge, ugly-legged creatures got on me. Well, <clears throat> that's not severe persecution, but it would have been a trauma for me. We need deliverance from that. All of those types of things are forms of persecution. So folks, as we carry the gospel, and as we seek to inflame the working of the Great Commission in our church, in our lives as individuals, going and opening our mouths to others, trying to minister to others, we're going to find some measure of success. You may begin by just rejoicing the door opened. You may begin just to rejoice that God's grace worked, that when the door opened, you said something. Whereas before, you kind of kept it quiet. But when the gospel success comes, it's going to have pushback. Now I want to finish by giving just a word of admonition. 
if you're the type of person who will do anything not to lose, quote, friends, unquote, you're really going to wrestle with God's favor in your life. Why is that? Because a person who desires friendships, and I use that in quotes because they're really not friends, but a person who desires friendships over the gospel, what will they not do? They'll not give the gospel. Why? Because they want to keep their what? Their friendships. Now, I'm not for running off friendships. But I'm saying that you cannot live a life in which you're kind of on pins and needles trying to bob and weave so that you know what you say is not quite plain because you don't want to offend them because you're afraid of their reaction. Now, I'm not saying be so bold you kind of slap them around either. Be wise. But we can't, we can't be a help if we don't give them the truth. And if we give them the truth, and we do lose friends, and you will, then you're blessed. No one who has forsaken father and mother, brother or sister, houses or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, you will receive mothers and fathers and brethren abundantly. And guess where you find that? In a local New Testament assembly. That's where you find that. We have a lady in our church who is away from us. And my wife and I have often spoke of her in these affectionate terms. She's more than a sister, she's like a mother. She's like a mother. And the Lord's kind enough to give us multiple mothers <laughs> and multiple fathers and multiple brethren. And when you get to heaven, you're going to have more than enough. But you might have to experience the suffering and the pain of being forsaken by a friend. Loneliness is a great trial. And folks, all of us will experience that to one degree or measure of another. So I give you that admonition to make you alert and to make sure that in your spirit you really are putting Christ first.
And if the Lord chooses to favor you by a loss of an acquaintance, even one you value, He will replace it with other brethren. If you will allow it, He will replace it with other brethren that can be just as endeared. One of you have said to me that really the church people are their family. That's what I'm talking about. And may Christ grant to us, yes, the mindset that I am favored when I suffer either mild or severe forms of persecution. But let us also have that mindset, but let's also pray that we're delivered from such persecution or get delivered when the persecution hits. Either one of those two for the glory of God. And gospel success and gospel persecution, what? They go together. Let's pray.